Thank you for joining us today at Our Savior's Church, where we are one church meeting in seven different locations. We hope that today's message encourages and empowers you on your spiritual journey and helps you grow deeper in your relationship with God. To learn more about Our Savior's Church and how you can get involved, you can visit us online at OurSavior'sChurch.com. We are kicking off a brand new series called Relationships XO. And I just, I want to know this, just so I know, how many men, when you saw Relationships XO, you thought football plays? <laughs> you can be honest in church, come on. Your, your laugh is telling me everything. Ladies, how many of you, when you saw XO, you thought hugs and kisses? And that's why we're doing this series. <laughs> Relationships can determine the quality of your life. And many of you know that statement to be true. Some of you need to think about it, but I assure you it's true. And let me prove it to you. You can be the most successful person in your business, the most successful person in your company, and have a miserable home life. And what happens when that's the case? Your life is miserable. Right? You can be the healthiest, most in-shape person in the gym with absolutely no friends, and your life is miserable. And how about this one? You can even be the most popular person in a crowd. And I know that doesn't seem like those two compute, but let me just tell you, you can be the most popular person in a crowd and go home every night feeling like the most lonely person in the world with no one to open up to and no one who truly knows you. So again, I tell you, relationships can determine the quality of your life. And so in this series, we're going to be talking about various different types of relationships. But we're going to talk about them from God's perspective, the perspective of the Word of God. And let me be very clear right out the gate. This is not a marriage seminar. I just want you to know, this is not a marriage seminar. And all of my single people went, whew. But this is also not a counseling session. And so we're going to be talking about marriage. We're going to be talking to the singles. We're going to be talking, but we're going to be talking about relationships in general. But this not being a seminar means we're not only here to give you tips of the trade. This is not just here to go, okay, well, wake up at 5 o'clock and then do this and then text at 7 o'clock. We're going to give you tips, but more than giving you tips, I want your heart to change. Because if your heart changes, your actions change. Some of us try to change our actions without ever working on our heart. And what happens? It doesn't last. It doesn't last. And so this morning, even as we start, we're going to deal with some real heart issues. But I want you to say this with me as we begin. Say, how you dress affects your relationships. How you dress affects your relationships. You, some of you know I'm setting you up for this. Others of you are tempted to leave. But before you leave, I want you to hear this scripture. Now, speaking of dress, next week is Football Sunday. And I'm encouraging everybody, we have some incredible things planned for football Sunday, some tailgating before and after service. Um, we have 
local high school football coaches coming. Um, it's going to be some surprises that we're going to share with you. This is going to be a great, great Sunday, and I'm asking everybody to wear your favorite sports attire. Again, as long as it's not Alabama. <laughs> You're welcome to wear it if it's not that. Okay. So that's next week. So wear your favorite, your favorite sports attire. I want to go to a book in the Bible to prove my point to you, what I'm talking about when I say how you dress affects your relationships. I want to go to a book in the Bible that the apostle Paul wrote to a church that he did not plant. It's likely he had not even been to this location, yet he's writing a book to this church plant that was either a spinoff from a church that he had planted or the plant of a plant from a church that he had planted. Now, He's writing this letter, and he's telling them some very key things that he wants them to know about being followers of Jesus. He's talking to them about the fact that Jesus is the head of the body and that the church, we, the people of God, are the body of Christ. So he's the head, we're the body. And the book, he's ta- the book I'm talking about is the book of Colossians. So in the Colossians chapter 1, verse 18, I'm not going to put it up there, but that he's talking about the supremacy of Christ, that he's God in the fullness, he's God in the fullest sense of the word, and that he's the head of this incredible thing called the body, the body of Christ that we are. He's talking to them about how they're a new creation, they're a new humanity, and that they're no longer bound to some of the pagan traditions that they were a part of before being a part of the body of Christ, and that now that they're in Christ, even though Jesus was a Jewish man, they're not bound to the, the laws of Judaism because people were coming in telling them, you have to be circumcised, you have to do this, you have to do all of the religious laws from, from Judaism. And Paul is saying, no, you don't. You are completely new creations in Christ. Your heart has been circumcised. Your heart has been changed. That's more important than the physical action of doing these laws. And so he's going over all of these things, and he's telling them who they really are. This morning, I want you to see who you really are. What does God's Word have to say about you? And so that, in the first two chapters, he's talking about these things. But in chapter 3, this is what he says. Chapter 3, verse 1 of the book of Colossians says, Since you have been raised to new life with Christ. Let me stop there for a moment. Since. Since what? In chapter 2, he had just finished telling them that, again, they don't have to do these man-made religions. You don't have to try so hard to try to please God by being pious. He's saying, since you don't have to do these things, this is what I want you to do. This is what I do want you to know. You are new creations in Christ. You've been raised to new life with Christ. Set your sights on the realities of heaven, where Christ sits at the place of honor at God's right hand. Think about the things of heaven, not the things on earth. For you died to this life, and your real life is hidden with Christ in God. And when Christ, who is your life, is revealed to the whole world, you will share in all his glory. Now, I don't think he's saying sit around all day and just think about heaven. Like, he's not saying just sit around and go, man, one day in the sweet by and by. I don't think that's what he's doing. I think there is an element of this where he's saying you have to think about the end from the beginning. You have to make your decisions today based on the fact that this is where you're going. 
This is who you're becoming like. So there's a very real sense that he's saying, think about the end from the beginning. When you're, you're considering life and you're thinking about how you're supposed to live. But I also believe this is what he's saying. You have a new mind. Your way of thinking should be changed if Jesus is your Lord. He's saying this, that you need to think the way that Jesus thinks. You need to think the way that heaven thinks. You need to think the way that the kingdom of God thinks. And how many of you know that having a kingdom mindset, thinking like uh, the mind of Christ, is completely different than the way that we think? If you don't believe that, you should believe that. I've been a Christian since I was 16 years old. I am 43. I look 25. I look 36. There goes your Valentine's Day gift. Wait, 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 we're in a relationship series. Never mind. Never mind. Say, think about things the way that heaven thinks about them. What was I saying? I don't remember what I was saying. Yeah, I've been a Christian for 27 years. And just yesterday I was praying, God, help me think like you think. Because the way you think is so completely different than the way that I think. Right? And I've become more and more and more like him over the last 27 years, but I still have a long way to go. His thoughts are higher than my thoughts. His ways are higher than my ways. And being his follower, I'm still trying to learn how I'm supposed to think. And the Bible helps us with learning how to think. It's so counter to what we think. But I want to make it real practical to this series. Even in your relationships, the way that he thinks is different than the way you think. And I'm not just, I'm talking about marriage. I'm talking to you singles. I'm talking to you who have friendships. I'm talking to you parents. The way that you think about the relationships in your life is not the way that God thinks about them. And it's very important for us to make sure we're trying to get the mind of Christ as we're thinking about these, relation, these relationships. Let's keep reading. Because he goes on to give us a list of things that the Bible says are death to us. And it says these are the things that we need to put to death. Verse 5, it says, so, or in some translations it says, therefore. And if whenever you see the word therefore, you need to ask yourself the question, what is it there for? It's building upon itself. There's something that is trying to be communicated. He's saying, because of this, now this. So he says, so, put to death the sinful earthly things lurking within you. Can I just tell you, there's still things, even as a Christian, some of you have been a Christian for 30, 40 years, there's still things in you that need to be put to death. There's still things in you that when left to, if you do what you feel in the moment, it's still death. It's still wrong. Even though you feel a certain way about it. So he goes on to say, have nothing to do with sexual immorality, impurity, lust, and evil desires. Don't be greedy, for a greedy person is an idolater. 
worshiping the things of this world. Because of these sins, the anger of God is coming. You used to do these things when your life was still part of this world, but now is the time to get rid of anger, rage, malice, excuse me, malicious behavior, slander, and dirty language. Don't lie to each other, for you have stripped off your old sinful nature and all its wicked deeds. Put on your new nature and be renewed as you learn to know your creator and become like him. Pastor, I thought we were talking about relationships. We are. The list of things that I just went over that Paul just gave us in the Bible are relationship killers. They are things that will demolish and devastate your relationships. Sexual immorality will destroy your relationships. Impurity, lust, evil desires, greediness. Being greedy, being all about you will destroy your relationships. Worshiping the things of this world. Anger, rage, malice, slander, gossip, foul language, lying. These are all things that will demolish and destroy relationships. So don't just read past these things in the Bible and go, yeah, yeah, I need to do this. No, no, no. Pay attention to the fact that these are the things killing your relationships. These are the things that are destroying the closest relationships in your life. And he goes on to even say some of the silly divides that we have. He says, in this new life, it doesn't matter if you are a Jew or a Gentile, circumcised or uncircumcised, barbaric, uncivilized, slave or free. Christ is all that matters and he lives in all of us. So even some of the silly divides, I don't like where you came from. I don't like the color of your skin. I don't like your belief systems about this. Who cares? All that matters is Christ. And that's the thing. He is the one that brings us together. So it's time to do away with some of the silly little divides that we have, even in church. Come on, somebody. These things hurt and they bring division and are part of old, the old way of living. Or dare I say it like this, our old clothing. Those are the things you used to wear. Those are the things you used to put on. Those are the things that when you got up and you walked out of your house in the morning, that's what people saw because that's what you wore. And Paul is saying, take those things off. Strip, you have stripped off your old nature, your old sinful nature and all its wicked deeds. Again, I say to you, how you dress affects your relationships. So if I'm supposed to take these things off, Pastor, what am I supposed to put on? Paul goes on to tell us that. Put these things on in your marriage. Put these things on in your friendships. Put these things on in your parenting. But look for these things when you're looking for a spouse. Verse 12, since or therefore God chose you to be the holy people he loves, you must clothe, put on, clothe yourselves with tender-hearted mercy, kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience. Pastor, I came here looking for tips and tricks. Okay, those things are helpful, but this works. This works. This changes your heart. Put on these things in your relationships. Let's talk about these things for a moment. The first one that he talks about is tender-hearted mercies. Are you like that in your relationships? 
The King James Version, which we don't, I don't often quote the King James Version, but in this, I want to for this, because instead of tenderhearted mercies, it says the bowels of mercy. And I know that sounds gross, but in that day and time, they didn't believe that the deepest place where your emotions lie was your heart like we do. They believed that the deepest place of your emotions was, was in your belly. And that you would be moved in your belly by anger or rage or compassion and love. Some of us still have that, right? You get nervous. Where do you feel it? In your belly. Right? You, you meet that, the, that one girl or that one guy. Where do you feel the butterflies? Your stomach. So he's saying here, be tenderhearted, deeply merciful, deeply compassionate to people. Are you compassionate to people? Are you deeply compassionate to people? Because guess what? Jesus was. The Bible talks about when Jesus saw the crowd of people, he was moved with compassion. Jesus had tender-hearted mercy. Well, Pastor, this is not natural to me. I know. I know. For most of us, this particular one is not natural to us. And if, as I go over this whole list, none of them are natural to all of us. But are we willing to die to ourselves and put him on? Are we willing to be deeply compassionate to people? Listen, even our family. Some of us, it's easier to be compassionate to a stranger than it is to our own family members. It's easier to be compassionate to a stranger on the street than to your own child when they do something wrong. Tender-hearted mercies. The second one, he says, is this, Kindness. Wait a minute, okay, Pastor, I'm out now. I'm just not a kind person. I hear you, but listen to me. The Lord that you follow was a kind man, and you're his follower. So we're, we should be coming more and more and more like him because he wants you to be a kind person. I'm not talking about what comes natural to you. I'm talking about supernaturally what he's equipping us to be. Kindness. You know, I used to think that Christians were supposed to be stoic and mean because that meant they were holy. You can sit there and look at me like that all you want to. I used to to believe that when you went to a church and you saw them standing there, and, and this was their face enjoying worship, I used to think that was holy, but here's the thing. That's not the kind of man Jesus was. Jesus was a kind man. Children wanted to be around Jesus. Why? Because he was kind. He was kind to people. He didn't bruise. He wouldn't bruise or read. He was a gentle. The Old Testament tells us it was prophesied that he would be a kind man. And the Greek word for that word kind is the picture of wine that's been mellowed and no longer has its edge. That's the picture of kindness. So are you sweet? Are you kind? Because that's what Jesus wants us to be. And that's how relationships 
flourish. Can you imagine what would happen if you went home and you were actually kind to your wife? Novel idea, I know. Can you imagine if, ladies, if you were kind to your husband when he had a hard day at work? Listen, y'all can sit there and not say a word all you want. I'm not going to stop. Let's take it a step further. Are you kind to your enemies? Are you kind to those who have hurt you? Are you kind to those who don't have your best intentions? And I'm not talking about opening yourself up to their wounding. Some of you need distance. I understand all of that. But the Bible is very clear when it tells us to bless our enemies. When's the last time you did something kind for someone that doesn't like you? Kindness. Kindness. Are we kind? And listen, again, I'm talking about our enemies, but again, let's bring it back. Are you kind to the ones that you do love? That's something that we need to work on, something we need to grow in. Here's the next one. After we put on kindness, put on humility. Put on humility. Let me clear this up for you. Humility is not saying I'm worthless, I'm a worm, I don't deserve a compliment. People say, good job. You go, no, 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 it wasn't me, it was all God. Shut up. Just take the the compliment. I know that's not kind, forgive me. (laughs) But we get that way and we put on this false sense of humility. Here's a a good definition of what legitimate humility is. It's an it's an accurate assessment of yourself. A clear, accurate assessment of yourself. It's not thinking less about yourself. It's just simply thinking about yourself less. It's honoring others, preferring others. It's not putting yourself down to somehow demean it. Well, again, I can hear, Pastor, I'm not, I'm not humble. But that's why the Bible tells us to humble ourselves. Let me ask you this. How many relationships have you lost because of a lack of humility? How many relationships have you damaged because of your own pride? These things harm our relationships. And what happens is we're insecure, so we overcompensate with arrogance. We overcompensate so we want people to think this about us because we're really scared and insecure in an area of our life. Let me tell you two things you need to know about pride. Number one, pride is like bad breath. And this is what I mean. You're normally the last person to know you have it. But believe me, everybody else already knows. By the time you discover it, they know. But it's also like a beard. It's something that you have to shave every day. You have to put on humility daily. You have to choose to humble yourself. The Bible tells us that. The Bible says, humble yourselves before the Lord. And it's something you can do. And here's the thing. When we don't humble ourselves, God has to step in and humble us. Let's keep going. So much I can can say about that one. Gentleness or meekness. Gentleness slash meekness, some translations say Now, meekness is not weakness. It's quite the opposite. It's strength under control. 
And the picture of meekness, many of you remember when we, we, I shared this teaching on the Sermon on the Mount, when Jesus talks about this. Meekness is like, it's the picture of a domesticated animal. It's an ox that has the full ability to plow through your home and demolish it. But once it's been broken, once it's been domesticated, it now plows fields that feed whole villages. Meekness is having the ability to hurt you. Meekness is having the ability to cut you with my words. Having the ability to tear you down. Having the ability to share what I really know about you. Having the ability to physically intimidate you. And choosing not to, but rather using my strength to bless you. That's meekness. That's gentleness. That's what we should put on in our relationships. Are y'all with me? It's weakness to try to intimidate someone weaker than you. That's not strength. Patience, long-suffering. How many relationships have we lost because of a lack of patience? And another, another picture of this word, long-suffering patience, is not being easily triggered. It's not that you never get angry, but there are certain people that you say one thing, ah, and they blow up. Hey, I like your shoes. What do you mean? You don't like my pants? <laughs> and they just, they're so wound tight that, that nobody wants to be around them. They're not patient. They don't have long suffering. Well, Pastor, I don't know if I want patience. You need it. We all need it. It's the ability to not instantly get angry. Now, again, the Bible's not saying never get angry. The Bible says, be ye angry and sin not. Jesus was angry, but he was righteously angry. And he wasn't flying off the handle with his anger. It's learning patience. And long-suffering is just that. Sometimes it's suffering long with people. It's, it's enduring with people until they finally see it. Let me keep going. Verse 13. Then it goes on to say this, and I love this. I love this. Make allowance for each other's faults and forgive anyone who offends you. Remember the Lord forgave you. So you must forgive others. Two quick points I want to make about that before we close. Make allowance for the faults of others. This is what the Bible says. It says, it's the glory of a man to overlook an offense. And I used to be so easily offended in life. I really was. I used to be so easily offended. And I can remember wanting to have a conversation with every single person who had offended me. Like, if you offended me, we, we, we got to talk about this. And I remember when I was in this little Bible teaching thing, and, and the teacher said, if somebody flipped you the bird while you're driving in traffic, are you going to follow them home and try to have a conversation with them? Hey, I just want to let you know you offended me. I know you don't know me. No, that's how you get shot or go to jail. The Bible says it's the glory of a man to overlook an offense. There are certain things that if you're going to have this relationship, you're going to have to be real patient and simply overlook that for now. And not only overlooking that, it goes even further and it says, forgiving those who have offended you. Let me give you a hard truth about relationships, but it's a needed truth. And I'm saying it lovingly. So please hear my heart. It is impossible for you to have lifetime relationships without forgiveness. 
You, if you cannot forgive others, you will end your life alone. The closest people in my life have offended me. The most godly people that you can imagine have offended me. And the only reason that our relationships have continued is because of this one word, forgiveness. If you're unwilling to forgive, relationships don't continue. That's where they die. And you have to remember, we forgive. Why? Because God forgave us. The only reason we have a relationship with Jesus is because of the forgiveness that God offered us when Jesus died on that cross. Forgiveness continues relationships. Now, as I close, I'm ending with this scripture, verse 14. This is the secret sauce of relationships. This is the secret sauce. Verse 14, it says, above all, above everything else I've just mentioned, clothe yourselves with love, which binds us all together in perfect harmony. And let the peace that comes from Christ rule in your hearts. For as members of one body, you were called to live in peace and always be thankful. Love one another. If you want your relationships to succeed, you have to love them. Even when they don't seem to be loving you, you have to love them. If you want this relationship, the only way it's going to do, it's going to happen, is if the motivation in your life, the motivation in your heart is love. If your motivation is control, you'll lose it. If your motivation is them pleasing you all the time, you'll mess, you'll, it will mess up. If your motivation is being love, I have to be loved by them. If that's your motivation, guess what? As soon as you're offended and you don't feel love, you're out. Hear me. I don't want y'all to miss this. Your marriage, your parenting, your friendships, love has to be the motivation for that relationship. Paul says, above all, love one another. Clothe yourselves. Put that on. So as I close, I close with this. Mentioned today is small group Sunday. And some of you have come into this place, and again, church is a family, right? And you've come in, well, I just, I'm, I'm more comfortable just coming and hearing and leaving. But the thing that you need to help you grow are relationships. It's people in your life that are going to help you be more loving. People in your life that are going to help you see what you don't see. People in your life that are going to encourage you when you're down and out. And because we've been so guarded and so unforgiving and so untrusting, we don't let anybody in. And the only person you're hurting when you live like that is yourself. So I encourage you to take a step. Go find out about a small group. Commit to coming to the series for four weeks. This is the first of the four weeks. We're going to talk about godly relationships this entire series. Just commit to come. That's my ask of you. Now let me pray for you as I release you. Please go see one of our small group tables. And don't forget, next week is football Sunday. Come dressed in your favorite non-Alabama jersey. Let me pray for you. Father... I pray for your people. And God, I pray you bless them today. I pray that you make your face, God, to shine on them. That God, you bless them and they're going out and then they're coming in. That you give them peace, that you give them grace. That Lord, you would prosper all that they put their hands to for your great name. 
for the sake of your kingdom. And as a church, we would be a pure church who walks in the fear of the Lord. We would be a powerful church who walks in the power of the Spirit. And we would be a persistent church, even in the face of challenges. And all God's people said, amen.